Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. My name is Jenny Screech and I'm a consultant with the legal practice group here at Howden Insurance Brokers. In the current economic climate, law firms will be finding that clients are becoming more and more focused on the pricing and cost of legal services. In today's podcast, we want to talk about the issue of value-based pricing. I have with me today, Sean Jardine. Sean originally practiced as a litigation solicitor, but in 2014 became involved in law firm management at a top 200 firm. In 2021, Sean then founded his consultancy, Big Yellow Penguin, with the aim of helping law firms move on from the 20th century and adopt new practices such as value-based pricing to achieve a successful future. So a warm welcome to you, Sean. We're delighted to have you with us today. We know that you're indeed passionate about the issue of value-based pricing and the benefits that it can deliver both for law firms and their clients. So in a moment, I want to ask you to tell our audience a little bit more about what you do. But as always, we start our podcast with an icebreaker question that's focused on risk. So can you tell us about an occasion when you took a risk and how that worked out for you? All right. Well, firstly, Jenny, thank you very much for having me. A really good question. Depending on the age of the listener or of the lawyer, I, I, they will, might actually appreciate the risk and might have taken it the same risk themselves. But in 1980, when I went to university, I was told in the very first term of the first year, you've either got to apply to bar school to be a barrister or you've got to apply to law school to be a solicitor because then there were only the three ends of courts where you could do your bar exams and there were only three or I think maybe four colleges of law where you could get to go and do your part two solicitor's exams. So as a young, fresh-faced 18-year-old who was in his first term of studying law, I had to make a career-changing decision. And like all good lawyers, I decided heads law school to be a solicitor or tails to be a barrister and I flicked a coin and it came up heads and I thought that'll do me I'll have a go at that then and that's how I ended up at the Guildford College of Law uh, three years later. And it was the right call? Oh gosh absolutely emphatically because I you know when now I've got and I've got some very good friends who are barristers but the thing is that I always liked about being a solicitor was when it came to home time you could go home and you could you know I was newly married, I could you know, say hi to my wife. My friend who went to the bar, he'd go back to Chambers and his clerk would say, Mr. Bloggins, here's your brief for tomorrow morning. He went home and spent all night working. So for me, it was it was the right decision. And I remember I did have one case, oh gosh, going back about 15 years ago now, what got to the Court of Appeal. And I was there sitting behind the council that I briefed for the Court of Appeal. And I discovered then that the way that the brains in the jars that our court of appeal judges were firing questions at our barrister I knew I'd made the right decision to be a solicitor sitting behind him and not answering them so that's great excellent nice to know that it all works out on the toss of a coin (laughs) thank you for that Sean so so moving on to the topic of our podcast today firstly a bit of background can you tell us about yourself 
what you do and how you first became interested in the whole issue of value-based pricing. Okay, so I finished my degree, got to law school, got out of law school and then became a solicitor. I remember pretty early on in my career, I always hated timesheets, time recording. I was, I was good at it. Don't get me wrong. I could account for my eight hours every day. But I remember going to an event at the Law Society as a newly qualified solicitor, sitting up in the, I can't remember the name of the big room at the top of the Law Society. And there was someone there having a chat about uh, legal services. And I raised my hand and said, look, I think legal services are no different to ordering a pizza. You want a product at a price as described and delivered on time at the price. I was sitting next to a guy who was wearing a tweed jacket and corduroys, and he almost had a heart attack about how I was decrying a noble profession that I had no right to decry as a young, a young lawyer. But I always thought that, you know, actually, if you, ta- if you start talking to clients about your hourly rate, all they become focused on is the hourly rate. All, you know, how long is this going to take? And not actually thinking about what is it you're going to actually do, do for me? What's the outcome? And really, I, t- I just take the view that legal services are quite often a distressed purchase. No one wakes up in the morning thinking, you know, I can't wait to spend money with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But so therefore, but if we look at why people are instructing lawyers, they're either in pain you know, might be going through a very acrimonious divorce, might be involved in litigation, or there's a gain. I'd like to buy my dream house. I'd like to get mum and dad's probate sorted out. I'd like to buy this business or sell this business because I'm going to fulfill my dreams. So it's a question of listening to what clients want, what are their outcomes, and then talking about those. And that's where you can then have actually some really decent conversations about what people want to achieve. Mm -hmm. Because lots of lawyers will say, yeah, we are the trusted advisor. I've got some news for lots of your listeners. No, we're not. Generally, we're not because we don't spend the time to get to know our clients well enough. And we don't spend the time to get to know our clients well enough because we're always worried about the billable hour and talk about non-chargeable time. And I used to, you know, like to tell my troops, just think of it as investment time. If you can change non-chargeable to investment time and you're investing in a relationship, then you can have those conversations. And if you can get rid of the six-minute unit and living your life in six-minute units and present clients with gold, silver, bronze options, service levels, we all like choice in our everyday life. We all go to a car wash. We don't always choose the top of the range one. When we go to get bottles of wine, we don't always go for the Petrus at £4,600 a bottle. You know, there'll be times when we say, yeah, that bottle of for a tenner will be, do just nicely. We're happy to have choice. And that's what we've got to start giving our clients because they, they get it everywhere else and now they are demanding it from their lawyers. Okay, so this whole concept then of value-based um, pricing my understanding is that people also use terms like value pricing or, or intelligent pricing. Is is that just a different way of, of saying the same thing? It is usually. It's somebody trying to dream up something to say, can we just move off the billable hour? And you know, right. if we can move away from the, from the billable hour, start talking about value and pricing, the value that we create, then we just, if I could give you three fixed prices for three levels of service and you choose the middle one, that's great. I can deliver you that service for that price. But it's going to be tweaked in the same way that we, when we book airline travel, first class, business class, premium economy and economy. If you're sitting in economy, you're not expecting unlimited champagne. If you're sitting in first class, you probably are. And we just got to make sure we position ourselves, our clients, and deliver the service accordingly. Okay. So 
from your perspective, you see it has been quite important for firms to adopt an innovative pricing strategy. You see lots of benefits um, in that. What, what are the risks, do you think, if they don't adopt this approach? The, the, the risks and the pushback that I would get when I speak to clients about this is, well, we're going to lose some clients. Well, you might, actually. And, you know, ultimately, if you're, you're giving a price to a client and you're giving them a fixed price and they think it's too high, well, A, your staff have got to be trained in order to deal with objection handling. How do I deal with that? The, the last thing you would do is if you gave a client a price for £5,000 and then the client says that's too high, the last thing you should do is say, all right, I'll do it for four then because you've immediately lost your pricing integrity the client thinks, gosh, you've, reju- you've reduced the bill by 20, 20% there. You were trying to rip me off. However, if you're actually training staff to how to deal with objections on pricing, we might be able to say, well, look, I can do it a little bit cheaper, but I'm going to use other lawyers. You're not going to have a partner-led approach on that. I can arrange for an associate to deal with this for you. It won't be our star talent. It might be we push it back over a longer period of time. It might be that I'm going to require you to prepare the first draft of witness statements for this matter so that and you provide those to me with a bundle in a chronological order with a, with a chronology. That would be great. And then I'll do it for a bit cheaper because you make the client do something or someone else do something. And, and once I think people get trained into the rhythm of how to deal with objections, they get very good at it. Lawyers, you know, you... you I know I'm speaking to a fellow lawyer. You know, lawyers are not unintelligent people. What we haven't been done, we're not trained to deal with this. So once we start training people, people will get on board. Right. Okay. So that's quite an interesting point because it's quite a shift from the standard six-minute unit to a position where you're having these discussions with with clients and having this framework for, for pricing. So what do you think the main barriers are for firms that prevent them from making this shift, from, from making the change? Oh, they're, they're numerous. And it, it, it doesn't apply to any one discipline because I've done so many firms now that I, I get objections coming from all over the place by different people. Sometimes it can be the FD. The FD doesn't like the fact that they're going away from the billable hour because they forecast against their billable hour. But actually, most firms that I speak to will write off anything between 10 and 20% of their whip anyway. So they know they're getting it wrong in inverted commas because they don't recover all that value. But actually, the FD, if we're giving fixed prices, can track against actual revenue, it's forecast revenue. We know when this job is finished, the, client, the quota I've given the client is £5,000, we're going to get £5,000. And that will be coming in in four months' time at the time when that job's complete. So sometimes you get objections from FDs, you get objections from lawyers because they don't like necessarily having to le- unlearn what they've spent their whole careers doing and learn something new. You'll get lawyers saying, um, you can't do that in my area of work, Sean, you can't do that. Uh, and the answer is you emphatically can. Most objections will come from litigation where they say, how can I give a client a fixed price for some litigation? And the answer is, I was given, we're not giving them a fixed price for that entire litigation. Let's break it down into chunks. So if we take, for argument's sake, a neighbour dispute, can a litigation lawyer create a letter before action to go to the neighbour next door who's upset their client? Can a lawyer do that? And the answer is yes, they can. And they're going to think, how long is it going to take me to do that? And they think, okay, I know that that's something I can do relatively quickly. 
and I therefore can give my client a fixed price for doing that, that letter. I can then think, if we think of dropping a pebble in a pond, that's the first part of a concentric circle. That's the middle of the pebbles going out in the pond. The next ring out is what is likely to happen when that letter lands on next door neighbor's doormat the following day? And the answer is one of three things. Nothing, they'll hear nothing. They'll either get a vitriolic letter back from the neighbor themselves, or they can get a vitriolic letter back from the solicitor acting for the neighbor. And then say to the litigation lawyer, can you deal with what arises from those three scenarios, depending on which one it is? And they say, yes, I can. Okay, well, now we can give a client fixed prices for two stages. Well, we say stage one and stage two. The further you get out the pebbles in the pond, that's where more variables come in. And I can say to you as a client, I can give you a fixed price for stage one and two. I don't know what's going to happen in stage three, but when we get there, I will give you a fixed price or some pricing options. Is that okay? And you know what? Most people say, yeah, I understand that. That's absolutely fine. So rather than, you know, when I started my career, we'd have to give a range for the whole of the action. So you could have a client coming in for a neighbor dispute and they said, well, what is the possible cost of this neighbor dispute going to cost me? So, oh, well, it could be between anything between a thousand pounds and a hundred thousand pounds if we go to trial. Well, I've complied with my obligations of giving a range there, but the information is completely useless to the mm. client because they're going to think, I haven't got, they only hear a hundred thousand pounds. I haven't got that. Whereas if I break it down into a couple of stages, I can say we can do that and that. And then if we get to stage three, they're then saying, well, what are our options? Well, it's, I'll tell you what our options are when we get there. And for those, I can then give you prices. And there are firms out there who are already promising their clients that we will never deliver you a bill that you've not previously authorized. Just say that again. We will never deliver you a bill that you have not previously authorized. And what client wouldn't want to hear that from their lawyer? Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if a firm is starting to think about this and wanting to look at um, making some changes to their, their pricing um, approach, where do they start? What, what are the quick wins? Okay. Easiest place to start is buy a book. I have no shares in this company. It's John Kosher, Harvard Business School. He wrote a book about penguins. Okay, our iceberg is melting. It's a change management fable, and it talks about the eight steps to change. It's why my business is called the Big Yellow Penguin because you've got a lot of penguins sitting on an iceberg. One's got a one's got a briefcase. Every lawyer can identify with that penguin because it's got a briefcase, and it is a change management project. So first of all, you create a framework. That's your eight steps. The quick wins are then saying, well, we have got you know, an iceberg that is going to melt. We've got to do something about it. So let's set this as a strategic option. It's got to be a strategic option for the firm to say, we want to do this. You're then going to create a little guiding coalition, group of pioneer penguins who are going to say, well, we'd like to explore a bit more about this and we'd like to trial it. And then once you do that, you, you're, it won't come as a surprise that your pioneer penguins, they're going to be the ones who are you know, enthusiastic about this, who would like to embrace this. There's one character in the book called Nono, a penguin called Nono, and that penguin goes, oh, no, 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 that won't work here. So we don't want any Nono penguins in the group, but you have your, your pioneer penguins and you start actually thinking, how can we create our agreements? What have we got to put into them? What are the price options we can give, we could possibly give? And do, I, I do a lot about possibility thinking. 
let's create documentation that we will use. And lawyers being lawyers will happily use the documents that they have had an input in creating rather than saying, well, here's a template that I've got. I'm just going to fill it in because they'll look for the things that they don't like in it. Whereas if they start creating their own from scratch, they'll start using them. So are there businesses outside the legal profession sector or even indeed more broadly the professional services sector that you think do innovative pricing really well and and can we learn from those businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at some of the big consultancies, you won't get them to break down what they do into hours and minutes. You know, it will be here as a project. Let me talk to you about the outcome that is going to be delivered. Some accountants are very good at value-based pricing. And you think, well, of course they aren't. They They know the value they give. So if they're giving some advice where we're going to save you a million pounds, they know that's the value to the client. Well, the fee then is not if they know that and it's a 20-minute conversation for them to save the client a million pounds, the fee should not be 20, you know, a third of their hourly rate. Let's try and capture some of the value that the client gets on that. But there are other, you know, there are some industries who are still wedded to the billable hour outside law as well. And uh, advertising is one of those as well, where they still make, or some of the bigger agencies still make their staff filling timesheets. I can tell you that there's one Australian law firm, and Jenny, I know you're not from Australia, so, uh, I, well, but it, it, it is an Australian law firm. They announced with some, uh, uh, a bit of a fanfare about four or five months ago that they have changed their billable hour model and they are no longer charging in six-minute units. You think, hurrah. And then actually you read on and they said they are now charging in one-minute units. So if you are a lawyer at that law firm, you are now accounting for every minute of every day. And I suspect that what happened when that lawyer, when that firm actually changed their model, that most of their lawyers updated their CVs and started punting them out to agents because that's what exactly what I would have done. Finally, Sean, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice about pricing, what would that be? Okay, nobody, and I mean nobody, prices their own work in isolation. You get two pairs of eyes on every single price, every project, because lawyers are really good at doing the work. We want to do the work for our clients. We get enthused about doing this work. But actually, we sometimes actually won't price our work for the value we create. So if you get one of your colleagues looking at the price that you're giving, and they might say, look, are you sure that's the right price? Because what you're doing is so good here. And then I'd encourage them to ask some questions. And I, I, I talk about a lawyer scoring matrix where you can have, ask yourself some questions. And these questions might be, how busy are you? And, the answer, and if it's on a scale of one to five, I'm really busy. A five dictates that you're going to charge more. Can you delegate this work? No, I can't. Okay, that's a five. It's going to be delegated. What has the client been like? in dealing with you up to now. So if this is a client new to the firm and they're sending you 100 emails with a document attached to each email instead of one email with a chronology and a beautiful paginated bundle, what has the client been like? They've been a bit of a pain. Okay, that's a five. And then finally, the question is, do you like them? Do you like this client? Do you think you're going to work well with them? And if if the answer is no, then you give it a five. And I can tell you a true story where I was pricing with a a law firm. I I was a second pair of eyes. And this Wilson probate lawyer said to me, the probate calculator that they use 
Excel spreadsheet says £6,000. And I said to this person, I said, okay, let's just go through the lawyer scoring matrix. I said, how busy are you? She said, Sean, I'm absolutely rammed. Can't take on another bit of work. I said, okay, can you delegate this? She said, absolutely not. I can't. I said, well, why can't you delegate it? You've got a probate. I can't. She said, these clients are, are awful. They're ri- I've got three siblings in my office arguing over mum's jewellery, who gets what, and mum hasn't even been buried. I know that this transaction, I'm going to have to have three conversations every time because they don't talk to each other. All they're going to do is argue. I can't delegate it to anybody else, and it's going to be an absolute nightmare case for me. I said, okay, how much do you want to charge? And she took a deep breath and she said, £24,000. I said, fine, price approved. The lawyer sent an email to the client, said, yeah, we can do your probate for you. It's going to be £24,000. Client came back and said, yeah, absolutely fine. Thank you. Please get on with it. How does that lawyer feel now when she's having the three conversations with the warring siblings? She's thinking... I'm getting paid for paid this. properly. I'm getting paid for yes. it. I, this is what I, I'm doing my craft. This is what I'm getting paid for. And all of a sudden, her self-esteem goes up. And it's absolutely brilliant. And coupled with the fact that was probably very easily her month's target to do that one probate transaction. So mm. that's the kind of thing. We've got to boost our self-esteem and we've got to stop pricing our own work. So it's a very long answer to a very short question. I'm sorry. Well, that, that's been absolutely fascinating, um, Sean. Thank you very much for your time today. I mean, there's some just really interesting anecdotes in, in there. And, you know, certainly this is something that um, I know will be useful for the people out there listening to it. So thank you for your your time. Um, We could go on all afternoon. I've got plenty more questions, but um, maybe another day. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's been a really interesting session and it's a topic that we'll come back to again in the future because it's certainly something where I know firms will be interested to have more information, particularly about how you go through the process of implementing such a significant change into your law firm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favours the Brave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favours the Brave on your favourite podcast app.